reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So the father divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So this younger son set off and went back to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it too. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now the elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. The servant replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has got him back safe and sound. Then the older son became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years, all these years I've been working like a servant for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost, and he has been found. It's all about relationship. Relationship is the key word that I'd like you to keep in mind when we think and talk about Bega Quabega and the life that you share with the people of Kivalamo. Because while we engage in development projects like healthcare, well drilling, reforestation, microfinance, and so on, all throughout the Iringa region, we are not, strictly speaking, a development agency. And while we support the studies of students in the southern highlands of Tanzania, we are not strictly speaking, a school or an educational program. Instead, what we are, at our core, is the church. 
the body of Christ in the here and now that stretches and moves and brings new life and hope across continents and cultures. You are part of a global community marked by the goodness of God's grace that daily testifies in word and deed to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And at its best, this relationship that we are in is reciprocal and takes place in two movements. There's us ministering to our companions and our companions ministering to us. And this is a phenomenon that I observe time and time again as I travel across both the Iringa Diocese and the St. Paul Area Synod. Through this relationship, I witness the stirring of God's Holy Spirit in the lives of the individuals and congregations that engage in this partnership. Wherever I go, I see eyes and minds that are being opened, imaginations being stirred, and people beginning to engage in God's mission, bringing reconciliation, planting seeds of hope, and declaring the promise of new life abroad, yes, and also right back here at home. There's an ebb and a flow to this life that we share. We give and we receive, we speak and we listen, we teach and we learn about our companions, about ourselves, about the world that we share, and about the one God who created us all. And today, I'd like to tease this out a little bit by focusing our attention on the parable of the prodigal son. Undoubtedly, one of the most well-known of Jesus' teaching stories was told in response to the grumbling of scribes and Pharisees, the religious authorities of the day about the audacity of this man named Jesus, who claimed to be the Son of God and yet shared his table with sinners and outcasts. It's a story of exclusion and embrace that I suspect many of us know well. But the question today is, how well do we really know it? And how much of that knowing is based on the peculiarities of culture and the places that we come from? When you remember the story of the prodigal son, Do you recall a son running off and squandering his precious resources in dissolute living? Do you recall the fear of judgment being replaced by the compassion of a loving father? Do you recall the killing of a fatted calf and a feast? Do you recall the elder son who is angry for living well and not getting a party? Do you recall the cry of joy? The son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Do you recall the famine? Now, if you don't recall the famine in verse 14 that struck across that distant country, congratulations, you aren't alone. Because even though it is the precipitating event that the text tells us causes the youngest son to begin to be in need, most Americans, regardless of their gender, their race, age, economic status, or religion, think the famine is so insignificant that they don't mention it at all. This, at least, is according to research done by scholar Mark Allen Powell from Trinity Lutheran Seminary in Ohio. According to Powell, if we were in Russia, for example, we would have noticed things differently. His research indicates that most people there, 84% of his respondents, name famine as an important feature of the story. A lived reality for many Russians, widespread food shortages and insecurity have not been recently part of our own national experience. Pushing this research further, Lynn Willis, a a spiritual director from the Texas-Louisiana Gulf Coast Synod, summarizes Powell's findings like this. Most Americans think the son's biggest sin is his wasteful spending. On the other hand, 
Most Russians believe the biggest sin was leaving his father's house and putting a monetary value on the family. In short, the Russians believe his biggest sin was being self-sufficient. Seminary students in Tanzania hear yet another perspective, she says. They believe that the son was brought to ruin because no one would give him anything. Verse 16. They say the boy was in a far country. Immigrants often lose their money, and they are thought foolish because they don't understand the customs and ways of that country. The far country in the text is a country with no honor, because it did not extend hospitality to the immigrant. This is, in contrast, the students say, to the Father's house, which symbolizes the kingdom of God, where the undeserving are welcomed. So, you see the power and the beauty of our global relationships, like the one that you share with your companions in Kivalamo, the power and the beauty extends far beyond the life-giving and life-affirming gifts, like scholarship support for 24 students that you share with them. If we dare to listen and to learn from their experiences and their expertise, our eyes can be opened to new ways of seeing. As even this brief consideration of the story of the prodigal son reveals, when our global companions share from what they have seen and heard, our basic assumptions about the way things are, are confronted, and we are invited to consider new ways of being. And in this way, we continually bear the witness of Christ to one another and to our neighbors. In our mission efforts, both global and local, personal and communal, it can be easy to hear and to share the story of the prodigal son by placing ourselves in the starring role. If we consider the grave error to be the squandering of economic and material resources, and we've done a fairly good job of managing our own resources, it's a pretty easy temptation to mark ourselves off as saints, according to the story. If, on the other hand, we listen to the perspective of the faithful in Tanzania, where the greatest dishonor is the absolute lack of hospitality, or concern that people of that far country extend to the immigrant in their midst, then, maybe, just maybe, considering our own, history, our own country's history recently of dealing with immigrants, we'd locate ourselves closer to the sinner end of the, of the spectrum. Ultimately, in these readings, neither side of this exchange is completely right or completely wrong. Rather than getting stuck with either or, reality is both and. And it's through this back-and-forth exchange of bearing the witness of Christ across continents and cultures, of sharing what we know and receiving what our partners have to share as well, we again find ourselves in the condition Martin Luther describes as being simultaneously both saint and sinner, imperfect and flawed people, capable of acts of incredible compassion, perpetually being embraced, forgiven, and welcomed into our Father's house and the feast of new life that lies within. And this, friends, this is good news. All thanks be to God. Amen.